0: And welcome back, everyone, to the Beyond the Profile podcast. I'm your host, Shiny. We have an incredible guest on the show today for episode seven. Episode seven, only a few more away from double digits. Not too shabby. But we go into a number of different things in terms of the racial injustices in society, the type of work her company, Edelman, is doing to enhance the communication and and the value of communication to different clients and businesses on how they can handle these racial injustices and the COVID outbreak as well. And there's just so much more that we hit on as well. So hope you guys enjoy it. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. See you on the other side. welcome everyone and thank you for tuning in today i'm joined on the show by a former colleague of mine she served in the clinton administration specializing in policy development and issues management spent 15 years at ogilvy culminating a role as head of public affairs she was a managing director at apco worldwide a co-founder of the washington area women's foundation in 2019, was named one of Savoy Magazine's most influential women in corporate America and currently the U.S. Chief Operating Officer at Edelman, which is a global communications firm that partners with businesses and organizations to evolve, promote, and protect their brands and reputations. And to be honest, that might only be one 16th of a resume. That guest on the show with me today is Lisa Ross. Lisa, thanks so much for joining the show.
1: I'm so delighted to be here with you, Michael. I have always been a fan of yours and to see you um, do your thing um, and make a difference in ways that are meaningful, especially right now, like warms my heart. So I'm delighted to be here.
0: Well, I really do appreciate it, Lisa. And you're, you know, you're someone that I've really looked up to just not not only from the fact of all the accomplishments that I just listed But your leadership capability and how you communicate with other people is something that I have looked up to for a long time, me being at Edelman before and the way that you would handle the DC office. I mean, it's just something that I've really looked up to. And, and, you know, I'm I'm just really excited that we're here.
1: We're just going to like sit here and compliment each other back and forth.
0: um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the episode.
1: (laughs) I'm totally into it.
0: Exactly. Well, to to get the episode going a little bit, uh, tell the audience audience a little bit about yourself. You know, where did you grow up? Go to college, uh, etc. Um,
1: I'm um. Let me talk about the things maybe that I'm most proud of, and the things that I think have really determined who I am today. Um, I am a native Washingtonian. I grew up when Washington was known as Chocolate City, and it was the center of uh black excellence in, in the United States. Um, both of my parents were civil servants and they instilled in us that you could do well by doing good. Um, I was educated by uh, feminist nuns when I was in high school. Uh, I went to Jesuit college, Marquette University, where my belief in social justice um, really blossomed. And, um, Uh, I guess in my nature, I'm a problem solver. And so all of the positions that you just identified were opportunities for me to help solve problems and hopefully lead to greater good. I've been married for um, 30 years. I have two children. My greatest accomplishments are um, my parents would say, remarkable, remarkable daughter. My children will say, best mother ever. And my husband would say, solid wife. Like I haven't quite nailed that. Solid. Yet, wow. Yeah. Only solid, but you know, you're still here. Uh, so, um, but those are the things that I'm most proud of.
0: Exactly. Well, I mean, solid, solid's not bad. So that's, that's I good. Have time. At least. I have
1: time to improve on it, Michael. I'm exactly. It. There's
0: always room for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean, you, you mentioned, you mentioned pretty briefly that, the people that influenced you over the years to really get into public service and really problem solving in general. You know, I I listed that you were a part of the Clinton administration. What sort of work were you doing for them and what kind of got you into that? Were you studying uh, public policy in college and it kind of just went that way? You know, what was your thought process behind that?
1: My degree was at a double degree in um, journalism and political science. And so, coming from Washington, um, where it was big P political, you know, Congress, the executive branch, the judiciary, and then um, little P, uh, the city of Washington. And so, my I was I, w- I guess I was groomed. I was grown to believe that through policy, you can make a difference. Um, you can advocate for change. You can ask for change. You can desire change. But systemic change is brought about through policy changes. And so that's always been why and where I was drawn to to policy and my belief that um, that's really where you could institutionalize um, changes that need to be made. Um, The people that influenced me were, again, people who saw a problem and said, this is not acceptable or this can be better and um it's almost how i see the world and is you know when when we were in the same office for me it's like if something's good i think it can be better i think it can be remarkable and if something is not good i think it can and should be um, much better and so you know the best and the worst part about working with me is that i believe almost any and everything is possible like I just, I just, it's. Yeah. I think it's like just the way I am wired that I believe any and everything is possible, um, and I think if it brings about positive change, that you should be relentless in your pursuit of that.
0: It's a very optimistic mindset, definitely. Um,
1: optimism right now.
0: Yeah, exactly. We we definitely need that. You know, you mentioned policies a little bit, and that's kind of why you wanted to get into working with the Clinton administration. But specifically, were there any sort of policies that you work closely on that you were really interested in and motivated about? Or were there some that you were kind of a little bit distance on? You know, what, what kind of work in that regard?
1: my um i worked in the white house office of women's initiatives and outreach when i was with the clinton administration and i was also the deputy director of the federal glass ceiling commission which was the federal commission that looked at barriers to prevent women and people of color from um the c street from advancing to the c suite and um uh in the clinton administration in the white house office of women's initiatives what the president created that office because he wanted to understand the impact of policy decisions on women and families. So if he's gonna make a decision on welfare reform, which he did um, before he made that decision, it was my job and others to find out what impact that would have on women and families. Um, uh, you know, issues like choice, um, issues like pay equity, um, um, issues having to do with foreign affairs, like whether you go to war or not, um, whether you have a trade agreement with a particular country. Um, what is the impact of all of those decisions on women and families? And so my job and the job of my colleagues was literally to find that out. And I wouldn't say that we always um, got the outcome that we wanted, but the president could make a decision well-informed and understanding the consequences of the decision that he was making and the impact that he was going to have. And I think in many cases, and this was his legacy, that much of what he tried to do was to have a positive impact, but you know, in politics and in policy, you can't make everyone happy. You actually are failing if you do, because in my mind and in my belief, like, what do you stand for? Hmm. You know, because if you're making everybody happy, then like, you don't actually stand for anything except for making people happy. And I think what constituents want is to believe in um, our our policymakers and our politicians. And I may not agree with everything that you say, but I have to believe that you are a decent human being and that you're, you have my best interests or in the best interests of others at heart. And a valuable lesson I learned with one of my dearest friends, um, Michael Steele, who's the former um, uh, RNC chair, a former Lieutenant Governor of Maryland. And when we met, our kids were small, they're now adults. And um, I said, so I think we might be on different sides of the aisle. And he said, no, he said, we probably want the same things. We just have a different point of view on how to get there.
0: Yeah. no, And that, and that's a great point. You know, when I think about politics and especially in the White House or a president or any any sort of administration, my first thought is I want to make as many people happy as possible. Now, along the lines of that follow my policies and what I care for. But it's interesting in the way that you put that where you don't want to make everyone happy because, you know, you you got elected in office for the things that you've done. And you want to make an impact on on those sorts of initiatives and the, the things you were talking about with, you know, women's rights and, and equal pay and stuff of that sort. There are still things that we are fighting today. And it's really interesting that you say that and kind of moving along a little bit you know you worked on so many different initiatives and and impacts within that administration. you know what what kind of you went towards PR after that? You know, what was kind of your mindset to go towards PR after working on some policies that were very substantial in in our uh, in our country's history? What was kind of the driving force in your thought process to to get into PR? Did you think that you would make just as much of an impact doing that? Or what was kind of your thought process?
1: Well, I actually had started my career in comms. And so again, since my degree, part of my degree was political science, but the other part of my degree was in, called public relations, but communications. And I'd started off at Edelman, I mean, not Edelman, at Fleischman-Hillard. Uh, and then um, from Fleischman-Hillard and, and a lot of the work that I was doing in the administration was comms related. And so the transition to Ogilvy after I left the administration was not that difficult. And, and Michael, actually, in many ways, it, for me, sort of tells the story of how I see the world, and that is the role of communications. Mm-hmm. I think it is so essential to everything that we do and everything that we can accomplish. And so, for example, you can have, um, you know, you can, you, can, you can have a cure for COVID. You can have a cure for COVID but if you can't communicate about that cure, then it's for not. Like for mm-hmm. example, um, we are working on now at Edelman, um, advising one of the pharmaceutical companies on how to communicate to uh, hard to reach audiences, the importance of participating in vaccine trials. And so if that communication strategy doesn't work, then the vaccine is not going to work because people will not engage in trials and if the vaccine doesn't work, then it puts us right back in the beginning. and so. While the work I was doing in um, the administration was more policy oriented, everything I've ever done is rooted in the impact that having information means. Like you have to information is power. And if you don't have information to make smart decisions, to determine a path forward to to. To, to, to determine where and how you can have impact to make decisions, then you really are at a loss. And so I think regardless of where I sit in public or private sector, the root of what I do is a belief that communications um, serves that really important purpose.
0: Definitely, definitely. And it seemed like it was a pretty easy transition, especially since you really started out doing that. Were there any sort of adjustments that you had to get into going from uh the government to the private sector, anything that was just, wow, this is completely different and I don't, I, I'm going to have to ask for help multiple times.
1: So this is so silly, but um, something that really tripped me up were like things like timesheets. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my to God. To, you know, and anybody who is listening to this podcast is like nodding their head vigorously oh, yeah. because like in government and in other industry, you just do the work. And then in our industry, you do the work and then you, then you have to plug in the work and then you have to do more work and then you have to calculate it and you have to follow the budget and so forth. And so <laughs> um, that was like that seems like a small thing, but that was really, really challenging for me. And I think also um, um, everything that I've ever tried to do, I've tried to make it mission driven, like I've needed to mm. feel like there's an impact. and And not everything that I've done is quote unquote white hat. But um, again, where I believe that if you can have a positive impact, even for a bad industry or a quote unquote bad client, that you should do it. And um, But it's all about like kind of being clear about what your ultimate goal is um, for your client, your colleague, for whatever your audience is, and then being sort of relentless in your pursuit of it. So um, the transition was not as hard as I expected it to be, because again, it was like, communications impact, but the mechanics of it like tripped me up. I'm not going to lie.
0: Yeah. I mean, funny, (laughs) funny little story. When I, when I was at Edelman, I was the one that looked over timesheets. So people, (laughs) so people would come to me and get upset about the timesheets. And I just kept saying, guys, I don't care either. (laughs) Like, (laughs) please.
1: (laughs) But you know what? So, but then the other side of that is you take um, a client's money, Right. And Mm -hmm. they've worked hard to secure that budget. And in reality, like your ability to be um, judicious and um, respectful of those resources is part of the relationship building. Like you really have to respect how they, you know, how they secured that money. And you have to respect how you use it. And timesheets is an annoying but necessary little way to do that.
0: Definitely. Definitely. And and especially for, you know, people that might not be as client facing or doesn't have a relationship with those clients, they don't really understand why they have to do it in in such detail and notate what, what kind of times, Went in, but I also don't want to get on this tangent of timesheets either. That would that would just <laughs> put to everyone we have to sleep.
1: Memories for everybody. I know, because right? That, let's let's go past
0: that. Exactly. Well, one of the things that you were mentioning was you wanted to do something in terms of impact, and you know whether that be with with you in the government or going into the private sector with NPR one of the things that I I notice about you and I follow you on LinkedIn and such is you're very vocal on how businesses should be responding to the systemic racism and racial injustice in our country, especially with George Floyd, Jacob Blake, Breonna Taylor, things like that. And I kind of want to go into that a little bit with your Edelman Trust Barometer and the fight for racial justice in America. And I know you guys conducted two separate surveys, for this trust barometer. I'm just going to hit off three questions. What is, or explain that trust barometer, what it really is? What did you guys find in the survey? And what did you personally find interesting from those results?
1: It's a great, great question. Um, And and I thank you for asking it because this is where where the impact comes in, right? So for um, the past 20 years, Edelman's doing the Edelman Trust Barometer. And we look at uh, trust in four primary institutions: business, uh, nonprofits, uh, media, and government. It was interesting this year when we launched the trust barometer. It was depressing because across the board globally, there was a decrease in trust in all of those institutions. And um, the only one where there was a sense of competency. So it's like, do I trust you to do the right thing, and then do I believe you're capable of doing the right thing? So uh, respondents felt that business was capable of doing the right thing, and um, but would they? And so we started the year like with a deficit in trust in those four institutions, and then the first bit of research that we did um, into 2020 was for COVID, and it was like, what is the expectation of um, those four institutions in COVID? And it was to lead. So you know, the first trust barometer was like, nobody's leading here, and we need somebody to lead. We did the COVID um, trust, and it was like, we expect business and government to get together and lead us out of this, mm. this this mess, this debacle. And then when George Floyd was murdered, we asked the question, what is the responsibility of business in eradicating systemic racism? And so the first question is, do you believe that systemic racism exists? And so um, it was almost, it was universal for a survey like this, that it was higher among women, but but still significant with men. It was higher among people of color, particularly African Americans, black people, but across the board, um, people of color and white people, it was higher among um, 18 to 34 than it was 55. It's higher with Democrats and independents than it was Republicans, but there was a universal sense that systemic racism in this country exists and that govern and that business has a responsibility to help eradicate it. So what can business do? One, um, use your influence. Uh, I I had the opportunity to talk to Michelle Obama as she was leaving the White House. And when I asked her what, what branch of government she thought had the most impact, she said none of them, business does because business has the most reach. And so that was confirmed in this research. Second thing businesses can do is advocate and educate very much themselves. Uh, The third thing is um, get your own house in order. We had so many clients who were saying, I want to talk about this, but my house is really not in order. We don't really have, Hmm. um, you know, an appropriate number of people of color on our board. Our senior leadership, Edelman, had the same problem. And so, like, how do you navigate this? And it was like, guess what? Nobody's house is in order. That's why we're having the conversation. That's why we're in the situation that we're in. But you can fix it. You can do something. And the fourth thing was there are consequences if you don't. Because, you know, close to 70% of people surveyed said, I will buy or boycott based on how I think um, a brand or a corporation responds to trying to eradicate systemic racism. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really an equity issue, right? Business yeah. is, and, and often when businesses ask me, like, I'm not sure if my stakeholders, I'm not sure if my customers want me to take a position on this. And, you know, I'm like, if you look at your value statement, almost everybody's value statement says something about equal opportunity, equity, access, that's all this conversation is about and making sure that, you know, you and I are different, but you and I should have the same opportunity.
0: No, that's really interesting. And, and for me personally, when I think of these sorts of steps that you laid out, the first thing that really comes to my mind as someone who's a really big fan is the NBA. And the NBA has done a really great job of using their voice, getting their own house in order you know, using their power and, and influence, not just as an organization, but as, you know, LeBron James, as as people who are individuals using their platform for the racial injustice for more than a vote that they have, where they're coming out and talking about voting, where, you know, what was it? I'm just going to throw out stats, but like millions of people in the 2016 election who did not right. vote. And it's it's a... Right. That is your civic duty to do that. Yeah. And, you know, when I think of businesses, businesses obviously have influence. They have great influence and they need to do something. But what are you telling maybe your people or maybe closest to you at Edelman or friends? You know, should they be abiding by this, these same sorts of guidelines to promote anti-racism? How? What's kind of your thought on that? Yes,
1: yeah, so a one word answer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, And you used um, a word that's incredibly important, and it's the difference between, you know, not being racist and being Mm anti-racist, an environment where people are called to be anti-racist. Like what we have said at Edelman is if you are not actively engaged in creating a diverse, equitable and inclusive environment, this is not the place for you. So we've never gone so far as to say that. So we've said, this is not the right place for you if you do not believe in these values. And that's what we are all called to do. And I have enjoyed like the summer of counseling um, corporate leadership and CEOs who are really struggling with this issue. And, you know, I think one of the most poignant conversations I had were like this gentleman was just like wringing his hands. And he was like, I don't understand like, how can I get deeper into this? Why is this not working? And I said, you have been quick to put Black Lives Matter on your um, website, but are you willing to put the sign on the wand? Are you willing Hmm. to put it on your car? Um, Are you willing to wear a face mask that says it? And so, you know, these experiences have to be lived you can't be one person at work and not be that person in your personal life. And this is where the intersection comes. And I think, as, as I think about um, you and I had this conversation one time, I think we were talking about planning to do this, like what is unique. And I think what my superpower is, is that um, I believe what I believe and I believe that at work and I believe it at home and I believe it in my community and I advanced those things. And um, it's not always easy, but I think it's essential and important to actually bring about change.
0: Definitely. And and I know me personally, after everything that has happened these last few months, and you have the time, you know, just being at home because of the pandemic, right. you have the time to think about everything that you've done and everything that you've thought about and how that can really affect other people. Right. When I When I think of other businesses that have come out very quickly maybe to support Black Lives Matter and stuff of that sort. I don't see that much anymore. It, maybe it's just me. Um, is it is it a PR move to do it so quickly? And then are you guys counseling them after that to you know, further communicate and talk about the subject or change the way their, their organization thinks about these things, you know, what, what kind of...
1: Well, you can see I'm smiling and, like, grinning and, like, leaning into, uh, <laughs> into the screen because yes, yes, and yes, and that's the problem. You know, we advised all these corporations and they were very quick to make a statement, but this is about beyond the statement. Like what are mm-hmm. you actually doing? And the second set of research that we did um, in response to the murder of George Floyd in this conversation about systemic racism revealed that the majority of, them, of those polled feel exactly what you do. They are disappointed in the role of business. Business started off strong by saying things, but what have they actually done? And so when we went back into the field to ask these questions, it was almost verbatim what you said, people were like, I'm not seeing anything. Uh, you, hmm. you said something up front, but I'm not, you haven't said anything since. I haven't seen any change on your board. I haven't seen any change in your, um, in your, in your hiring policies, in your promotion, in your advertising. Um, and so, and let me remind you, consequences. 70% say that they will buy or boycott if they don't think that you are actively engaged in this conversation in a way that they think is meaningful.
0: So, you know, we talk about all this stuff and in the, in the survey, the two separate surveys that were done at, I believe, different, different times. I think one yeah, was in June, you, June, you mentioned, August. and right. August. Yep. What sorts of things did you find interesting and what shocked you about the results?
1: I'll tell you what shocked me and what, um, it, we already talked about the fact that I'm an optimist, right? So yeah. I will say, though, this, this is what shocked me and this is what disappointed me, um, there was a leveling off in uh, people's attitudes about, yes, systemic racism exists, and yes, business has uh, a role to play, and yes, I personally have a role to play. So we saw that at a really high level after George Floyd was murdered, and then that was um, we went in in June. We went back into the field in August, and it subsided a bit despite all the protests, all the conversations, all national attention. But then, Michael, after Jacob Blake was maimed, we thought, let's go back in. It went right back up. So I think the thing that um, surprised and, and quite frankly disheartened me is that there's an indication that people have to see it, believe yeah. it, that they have to see these, um, these horrible atrocities against men and women of color, um, in order to actually believe it. But when they see it, they're like, I support Black Lives Matter. I support um, yeah. the the protest. I believe that um, media is biased in coverage of the protest. Um, um, I'm disappointed in business. Um, I'm incredibly disappointed to have no confidence in government. Um, and so, but there's an indication that unless you see it, um, sometimes for some people, they don't believe it.
0: Definitely, and and I know when this happened, twenty fourteen, with in in Ferguson uh, when when Michael Brown that was that was all on Martin remember yeah and Trayvon Martin yeah and go
1: back to Emmett Till
0: yeah Emmett Till yeah, yeah that too yeah exactly
1: historic in this country and I think for many of us with a slight smile, but not a nice, happy smile, kind of a nasty smile. It's like, how did you not know?
0: Exactly. You say,
1: oh my God, this is terrible. I'm like, you know, people like me, and you don't have to be brown to know this. Um, you know, people like you, you're a white man. Um, you've known that this is part of our culture, mm-hmm. um, that these levels, and we're talking about, um, we're talking about, you uh, 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 police brutality, but this level of discrimination and atrocities and brutality exists in all aspects of our, of our, of our country. It's in, it's in industry, it's in banking, it's in education, it's in housing, um, it's everywhere. Exactly. And so, um, I, but I, because I am an optimist, um, I think we as a nation are in a lot of pain and I think that it's growing pains. And I think we're growing and that's why it hurts and we have to continue to hurt and to grow and then we'll get to the other side.
0: That's, I mean, that's a great way of putting it, growing pains. I mean, it still hurts, but at the same time, it feels like we're getting better yeah. in some ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as the optimist in all of us, right. for sure. Um, Lisa, I want to be mindful of your time. I know that you have to go. Um, we didn't really get to talk a lot about your transition into Edelman, but I think in just the context of this podcast, really, it's finding something that you are happy and passionate about. And I know for you, it's it's the position that you're in with Edelman. And it's clearly that because it's, it's the impacts that we're talking about with these racial injustices, these equal pay um, instances that we're talking about. And for me, it's it's just very enlightening to see someone that's so happy. I mean, you're just smiling right now about it right now. So, it's it's very enlightening. And I do have just a couple final questions for you, if that's okay. Um, you know, looking back on your freshman year of college, self, what piece of advice would you give yourself?
1: Don't worry about it.
0: Okay, up, just like, like that. Don't
1: worry about it. You were stressing about some stuff that does not matter.
0: Well, that's quick and easy. There you go. <laughs> Um, is there anything else you want to accomplish in your life that you can look back on to your young self that you would be proud of?
1: You know, um, that's a tough question. I, I'll answer it by saying this. Um, I feel fortunate that the intersection that you talked about has happened for me. And I know that this is your passion. Like how do you make work in your in your professional life passionate? Like how do, it's gotta mean something to you. And for me, it's like the intersection of three things. You have to be good at something. And that thing that you're good at has to be valuable to someone. And then that thing that you're good at and that is valuable to someone, um, uh, you have to actually enjoy it. And so I think that's where my sweet spot is. I love what I do. Um, I, 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 I'm good at it and it's necessary. And I think that's the sweet spot for everybody at work is to find that intersection.
0: Wow. I might have to make that into a poster to be honest and just hang it over my bed. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible right there. Um, what do you do to sharpen your sword and refine your craft?
1: Um, I spend time with my family, um, which includes my, um, favorite daughter, um, who's a 10 year old um, English bulldog, Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, I said that because my real daughter is listening. Um, I I spend time (laughs) with my family. I read a lot. Um, I don't watch the news as much as I should because I gather what I need from it and I move on because I find it uh, challenging and difficult. Um, I'm a spiritual person. um, And so I lean into my faith, um, which matters to me. And I surround myself with um, as much positive energy in people that I possibly can.
0: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, Lisa, I I just want to take some time to say thank you for doing this interview. Um, I know that you have so much other things going on. I know when I was at Edelman and left, I sent you an email saying, hey, could you do this for me? And and I told you about your leadership qualities, and that's how some something that I admire so much about you—the way that you just go about your day to day—it's it's something that I admire so much. And just want to say thank you for doing this, and good luck in in everything in the future. And say, I'm safe. proud
1: of you. I'm happy to do it. You have a great future ahead of you, and um, anything I can do to help facilitated i don't think you're going to need much help but i'm here if you need me um thank you for the best of luck with
0: everything thank you so much lisa i want to thank lisa again for taking the time to do this she's an extremely intelligent and intriguing woman to interview and and her thoughts behind everything it's it's really cool um i I really push for you guys to check her out on LinkedIn, at Lisa Ross. Again, she posts a, a number of articles and comments and does a number of interviews with other people and, and how she's looking to transform society and make an impact as well. So please give her a follow or check her out there. And you can follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, wherever, at Beyond the Profile. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Again, wherever you find your podcasts. And just want to thank you guys. I I really do appreciate all of the listens, all of the comments, all of the reviews, all of the texts and everything like that. So thank you again for everything. And we're going to have some incredible interviews to follow as well. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you again. See you guys later.